and uh, praise the Lord. But it is good to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Very thankful for what the Lord has in store uh, for us this morning. Locking myself in here. Bailey told me to make sure I wave to the camera, so I locked myself in. And um, it can follow me around as I begin to move so I can get warm myself. You guys got heated seats. I got heated nothing. Amen. And uh, what a blessing. Let's open our Bibles back up, if you will. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, wonderful reading this morning by Brother Andy. And uh, we're going to reread those verses again, and we're going to get into this uh, message this morning that I hope and pray is a blessing to your heart and your mind. Philippians in chapter 4, looking in verse 1, the Bible says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Judas and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I treat thee also, true yoke fellow. Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. The God of peace shall be with you. This letter here to the Philippian church was written from a Roman prison in, in the autumn of AD 62. Paul's life would only be lived out a handful of years past this. He had been incarcerated for four years by now. Half of that time would have been in Caesarea and now two years into his Roman incarceration. Paul's letter to the Philippian church is a very unique letter. You guys have heard me speak of this in times past. We'll reiterate that point here in just a moment. But I want you to keep in mind that he is writing from a prison cell. He's also writing from this same cell. He's writing the letter to Philemon, the letter to the Colossian church, as well as the Ephesian church. Now I want you to think about this. That as Paul's writing his letter to the Ephesian church, we read about him saying, put on the whole armor of God. Now, when he writes unto Philemon, he writes unto him and he says that he was not ashamed of his chain. He, Philemon had visited him in the Roman jail cell and he says that he was not ashamed of his chain. There was a chain, my friend, that was attached to Paul. For 24 hours a day, and on the other end of that, uh, of that chain, it would have been uh, a Roman soldier for working 12-hour shifts, and they would swap out the soldier each, uh, each 12 hours, and yet Paul was attached to him the entire time. So when Paul begins to write about the whole armor of God, he's giving you a first-hand example. He's looking at this Roman soldier. He's looking at the breastplate of righteousness. He's He's looking at the heaven, the loins girt about with truth. He's looking at his shoes, his shield, his sword, his helm. He's looking at all of those things, and he's giving you an illustration of what God wants us to have on in the whole armor of God. So the same time he writes the letter uh, to the Ephesians, he's writing this same letter to 
the Philippian church, guys. This letter, again, is unique. He doesn't need visual aids from a soldier when he writes to the, the church at Philippi. This, within the, in this letter written to the Philippian church, there's not one rebuke found. As a matter of fact, what makes it so much special, or so special, I should say, is not what Paul says, but rather what he does not say. I mean, it's what's not written, it's what's missing that is, that is so unique and so blessed. There's not one negative overtone whatsoever within the letter. It's not a letter of correction upon the local church doctrine, as you find uh, with the, the first and second letter to the Corinthians. But rather, it is known as a letter of joy. And it is what, it is what, it is, what is required in order to have joy in our life is what we find as Paul writes this letter unto the Philippian church, and that is victory. But guys, oftentimes... Victory is found in the most obscure areas. Victory is acquired in some of the most strangest ways in our life today. When we, want, when we speak of victory, we think of ourselves as being the greatest thing in the world, as, as we've done all kinds of great and wonderful uh, um, uh, um, uh, achievements or, or, or accomplishments or whatever it may be. But rather, there is one thing today that if you want joy in your life, if you want to have that victory, it's going to require you surrendering. Surrendering. You're like, wait a second here. How can I be victorious and surrender? How can I be conqueror and yet surrender? And I return back to you on that question, how can you not be? So I want to speak to you this morning on the topic of surrendering to victory. Surrendering to victory. Happiness is dependent upon what happens. We understand that. Meaning when a person is happy, it is based upon what is happening in their life, such as gifts or, 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 or presents or all this and that. But when those gifts are faded away or when they're gone, the happiness fades away along with it. But joy, guys, is not subject to our circumstances. Joy is not uh, subject to our situations. It's based upon where we have placed our faith and our trust. Let me say this about joy as Paul writes this letter. Joy runs deep. Joy is strong. Joy is quiet. It is confidence, assurance, confident assurance in God's love and his work in our life, especially in the notion that he will accomplish his will no matter what happens in this world today. I don't know about you. I know we just finished the confidence series here on uh, Wednesday night, and if you've missed that shame, you should you should uh, you should catch up with that. But I'm going to tell you this right now: uh, when you look at where your confidence rests in your life, your confidence needs to rest in something that you cannot change. Amen. Your confidence needs to rest in something that you don't have the power over. Your confidence, equal to your identity, needs to rest in something that is eternal. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit of God, God the Father and His Word. And that's it. Amen. Everything else in this whole world today is going to one day perish. But not this Word. Not my Lord and Savior. So joy is the same thing. So the epistle to the Philippians is known as Paul's joy letter. This particular church of Macedonia was a massive encouragement and support to the Apostle Paul and the ministry of his, his church planning ministry. 
This church had a special bond with Paul, and they brought him great joy. And therefore, he writes a letter about joy to them. It is the pinnacle example to local church missions, local church unity, soul winning, etc. Whatever you may want to use and whatever we do today in this world, when we get into the book of Philippians, you'll find it resting there, or at least the way to do it. Paul says in verse 1, in Philippians 4, verse 1, says, Therefore, my brethren, these are saved, born-again individual, but he doesn't just say, listen, he doesn't just say, uh, uh, hey, brethren, how you doing, or what's up, bro, or what's up, he says, my brethren, very personal, if you will, my brethren, dearly beloved, long for my joy and crown. Within the pages of this letter, the word joy occurs six times. Rejoice occurs ten times. And rejoicing another one time. Which gives 17 occurrences on the topic of joy in some way, shape, form, or fashion just within its four chapters. Within this, this book, we find the theme of the entire letter found in the fourth verse of our text today. Rejoice in the Lord. Um, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Within Paul's life, my friend, he lived in poverty. He lived in great wealth as well as everything in between. It is this church that Paul chooses to write, verses 11 and 12 from chapter 4, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer loss. Can I tell you what that is, my friend? That's victory rendering joy in Paul's life. Four years he's imprisoned right now. He was promised that he would be heard and listened to and all this and that for two years in Caesarea. And he became nothing but a spectacle to the Jews. Felix and, and Agrippa and all these different perverted men, they used him as, as a bargaining chip, a bargaining piece to try to find some type of peace uh, within them and the Jews in the area there. And they just brought him out as a, as a piece of entertainment, if you will, for 24 months. And Paul finally appealed to Caesar. They said, matter of fact, we'd have set the guy free. He's done nothing wrong, but he's appealed to Caesar, so we got to get him on a boat. All of the things that he went through, two years incarcerated, two years now incarcerated as he writes this letter. He said, I'm commanded to be full and hungry, to abound and to suffer need. That's joy in his life. That's a Christian life of victory today is to have joy. And my friend, it comes by way of surrendering. Paul chooses to live in victory through joy by humble himself before the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I ask you this this morning. Where is your joy? Now, that's not, a, that's not an accusational statement. It's a legitimate question. I'm not saying you don't have joy. Maybe you have joy. Amen. Maybe you should act like you have joy. If you, do, if you do, amen. I'm just kind of picking a little. I'm going to say what it is. It's a, it's, a, it's a provocative question. I want to provoke you today to seek deep within yourself 
whether or not true joy is present in your life. Under the same guise, do you have victory in your life? Because you can't have one without the other. Are you living a life victoriously? Now guys, many in our circles will come back to the state of the world, current events, politics, situational ethics, if you will, and they'll claim how bad the world is. And beloved, I am fully and completely aware, I understand, we, I said this the other day, we live in a broken world, okay? Yes, Jesus said the world would hate us because it first hated him, amen. Yes, Paul said that evil men shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. We understand that. And yes, we understand that good shall be evil spoken of in the world that we live in. We understand those are inspired truths of the Word of God given to us by God Almighty and preserved by His Holy Spirit. Amen. In the King James Bible. Period. All right? I'm saying all that to make this point. Paul writes a letter in AD 62. We are now sitting in 2023. Okay? It was an evil world under Nero and under uh, Caligula and under Cassius and under uh, Claudius. It was an evil world then, and it's an evil world with all the rulers we have today, with Biden and Putin and that clown over in Ukraine. Listen, it's still an evil world today, and it was an evil world back then, and it's going to be an evil world till Jesus Christ comes back and sets up his kingdom after he takes the church out and after he deals with Israel for seven years. Then there's going to be peace in this earth, and only then amen so if the apostle paul can have joy living under the roman empire serving god planting churches seeing people saved so can we amen i want you to think about your daily life think about your life every single day and what you have to do every single day now imagine that somebody stuck to you uh, on a chain a soldier with a sword and a shield and a helmet and he goes everywhere you go. And I said everywhere. Amen? Well, that's not too convenient, is it? Paul said, I'm commanded to be full and to be hungry. I'm commanded to abound and suffer need. That's joy. And that's living a life of victory. There's always been a current event. May I say that? There's always current events. Guys, I understand prophecy probably better than most. I, I know it, I love it, I enjoy it, it's great, it's wonderful, and I don't think things in this world are falling apart, I think they're coming together for the appearance of my Savior in the sky, amen. And I'm looking forward to it. We see it happen before our eyes, we're living in a broken state today, and the world is getting worse, and it's going to, but it does not mean you can't live victoriously, and it does not mean we cannot have joy. So what do we do? We look at the world and the state that it's in, and do we sulk? Do we become sullen toward everything and everyone? Or do we complain and criticize all the world that is around us? I mean, how many conversations, think about this here tonight, how many conversations have you had in the past 24 hours that were inherently positive? There's a true measure of where your heart is. There's a true measure of whether you have joy in your life. There's a true measure if you're living victoriously. Guys, if you're just complaining about what's going on in the world today and in your life and in your neighborhood and your community and your home, there's something wrong, amen. There's something broken. Yes, the world's broken, but if you're saved and born again, you're not broken, praise God. And your outlook should be that one of joy, living a life of victory.
So, brothers and sisters, we're given a very simplistic formula right here in the fourth chapter of the book of Philippians. Within these pages of this letter of joy, we are given a simple formula of how to have that joy to live victoriously. And the first thing we need to do is that we need to stand. Now, I could park here, I could preach a month of Sundays on this point alone. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Chapter 4 opens up with the word therefore, okay? So the statements concerning chapter 4 are in relation to the previous passages found in chapter 3, such as verse 17, brethren, be followers together of me. And mark them which walk uh, so as ye have us for an example. Verse 20 says, For our conversation is in heaven, from whence also uh, we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Think about that. Paul says, man, our conduct, our life, man, it's in heaven. It is not caught up in the world today. Our life, our mindset, our heart, our desires, our affection, our love, our attention, man, it's in another realm. It's in heaven. And because we're looking for Jesus Christ to come back, who's going to change this vile, sinful body into a body just like his, which is a glorified body, and therefore will cleanse this wretched mind, and will be truly, truly, truly cleansed and have the mind of Christ. Amen. He says, therefore, my beloved. He is talking about something that is eternal. He is talking about something that is going to happen in the near future. And on the same topic, he says, Therefore, my dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. My friend, if you don't stand for something, you are going to fall for everything. Amen. And if there has ever been a time and a day in the world that we live in, when you need to stand, it's the world we live in right now. And if there's ever been evidence that people will not stand and they're weak-minded and they're soft and they're full of fluff, it is in the world that we live in right now. You go back three years and you see how many jumped on the, the stupid train. You go back and you look how many people, hook, line, and seeker, followed everything blindly, amen. Stand on the word of God. God's got your back. Trust him fully in everything that he has said and he will do. And I promise you, joy will be in your life. But you're going to have to stand sometimes. You're going to have to stand. We can have victory in this life. I promise you that time. And that's not, that's not Pastor BJ's promise. That's my God's promise. Amen. None of you are in prison. None of you are attached to a soldier. None of you lost the last four years of your life. None of you have been ran out of cities and towns because they wanted to kill you. None of you have been stoned to death, brought back to life. Amen. Paul still had joy. Paul's still writing back to that church of Philippi, man. Listen, remember how that thing started? He goes there, hey, man of Macedonia, come over here and help us. Okie dokie, shows up, there ain't a person to be found. On the Sabbath day, goes down by the riverside, there's a bunch of women down there praying. Lydia gets saved and born again. She constrains him. I believe she grabbed him by the nap of the neck, said, I want you in my house. Win my family to the Lord. Family gets saved. People start getting saved. Devil possessed damsel who, who was sent to ruin the ministry. She gets saved. Paul and Silas are beaten senseless, amen, thrown into prison. The jailer gets saved, and I believe the whole jailhouse got saved. 
That's who are the church members at the church of Philippi. A bunch of saved and born-again criminals, a jailer and criminal, a devil-possessed woman, and this righteous woman named Lydia and her family. Mixed multitude of people. And the church of Philippi becomes the pinnacle of church missions. The pinnacle of unity. The pinnacle of joy in the Christian life to show to you and I that we can live in victory in this world today despite its brokenness. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us this very clearly. I'm behind there. Well, I missed that one. But 1 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us it's not on your screen. There hath no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also may awake to escape that you may be able to bear it. Beloved, we live in a, if we live in this world today in a defeated existence, you are telling God that you have not provided me a way to escape. You are telling God you are lying to me. There are so many doom and gloom preachers in the world today and I understand there's a time and there's a place for it, but there's too many, too many people who are exhausting the precious time behind the sacred desk, preaching and shouting from the rooftops, nothing more than that what they're against as opposed to what they're for. Our conversation is in heaven, Paul says. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a sinful world. But no one can tell me that we cannot live victoriously. No one can tell me that we cannot have joy in this life. Otherwise, how do you reconcile verses like 2 Corinthians 2.14? You've heard it before in other messages. Now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. You're going to tell me you can't live in victory in this world today? You can't have joy in this world today when the Bible says that He always causes us to triumph in Christ? How do you reconcile 1 John chapter 5, verse 4? For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world, and, uh, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. The what? The victory. How do you reconcile John uh, 4, 4? You are of God, little children, have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How do you reconcile that if you can't have victory today? How do you reconcile that in your life if you cannot have joy living victoriously in the world today? How do you reconcile it? What about verse uh, 37 of Romans chapter 8? One of my favorite verses. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Paul goes on to tell us that there isn't anything, present or future, which can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. So therefore, we are, all, we are more than conquerors, Paul says. And ain't nothing coming or ain't nothing here that's going to separate us from God's love. Therefore, there's nothing that can remove us from being a conqueror. And some will spiritualize these verses. I understand it. They'll make it more heavenly or, uh, or eternal than need to be, and I understand that as well. But we still have victory in this present world today, right here, right now. Galatians chapter 1, verse 4. Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. He didn't say so that he can deliver you from that future world that you're going to live in for 50 years and suffer torment and hate every moment of it and complain and argue and bicker and, and split churches and all this. No, 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 no. He, he said he can deliver you. 
You can be in this world and not of this world. You can live in this evil present world and still be delivered from it, having victory in your life and joy as a, re- as a result of that, but it's going to require you to stand on the faith you say you have. The central, I believe, the central ingredient to it all, if we're to have joy in our life, if we're going to stand, beloved, we must surrender. I know you may say, that sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds like, you know, like it's canceling itself out. But verse 8 says this, it says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things uh, uh, are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, what's that very next word? Think. Think. On these things. I, I said it's, it's simple. I don't want you to ever confuse simplicity with ease. I didn't say it was easy. Much of what is simple today is never easy. Simple decisions typically come with a cost. And even though they're worth it, nevertheless, ease is always absent. It's not always going to be easy. But I am going to tell you this. If you want joy in your life, you've got to have victory. And the way you're going to have victory is to stand. The way you stand is to surrender to victory. And we surrender in one place to start with. We surrender in our mind. What did Paul say in that previous verse? He said, think on these things. Paul said in verse 6 of our text, be careful for nothing. Our surrendering first starts with surrendering our mind. This is where the battle occurs. We create things and situations and all of this in our, our mind is the battleground. I know you guys have probably, we've heard a lot about that over the past several months. I've kind of hammered this point, but I think it needs to be hammered because we are having, we live in a society today that is, number one, they've lost the battle of the mind and it's evident because they've lost their ever-loving mind, amen. Our surrender is seen in two places. It's seen in our methods. Paul says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. There's a formula right there. If you are going to surrender your mind today, if you're going to think on these things, in everything, number one, prayer, number two, in supplication, with thanksgiving to God. That's not an or, that's a, that's a continual connection right there. You want to have victory in your life? You want to surrender your mind? You're going to have to approach the throne of grace by prayer. You're going to to do so through your supplications. And you're going to have to do it with thanksgiving. You know my formula of prayer, I'll be honest with you, and I write my prayers out in the morning time. I open up to praise the name of God. And you may say, well, why do I do that? I do that because when, when Jesus Christ gave the disciples... The model prayer, okay, the model prayer, that's how to pray. What did he say? Our Father, who art in heaven, it's the next word, hallowed be thy name. Praising the name of God in the forefront and the opening statement of our prayer time to him. So if we're going to stand today, our methods need to be accurate and correct. If we're going to surrender our mind today, our method needs to be be adjusted where in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, gratitude, which will also be seen in our motives. Let your requests be made known unto God. 
we, we see how to do it, and then what is our motive of doing it? Let them be made known unto God. Then you get to verse 7, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And that's victory, my friend. That's victory which results in joy in the Christian life, and it happens to you by surrendering. I know we heard this verse the other night. We've been preaching on it for three weeks. But, you know, we're told in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Guys, to bring something into captivity has the idea to lead away captive or to arrest or to detain. The theme here is to lock up our thoughts to the obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me carefully, guys, and we'll go to the third point and we'll be finished this morning. Most people do not lose the battle of faith. All right? They don't lose the battle of faith. Most people don't lose that. They lose the battle of the thoughts. They're in the car, they're in the walk, they're on a run, they're working. The mind begins to what? Wonder. Begin to feed it. Then you begin to feed into it. You start to play out reactions and actions within your mind. And before you know it, you're creating images that are negative. That's what an imagination is, created images. So most people don't lose the battle of faith. Most people don't lose the battle of, of, uh, of faith uh, in salvation. Most people don't lose the battle of belief. I can't tell you how many people I've talked to uh, that have been out of church, they forsake church, they ain't been faithful, they ain't tithed, they ain't paid missions in a decade. And they say, I still believe the same way. No, you don't. Stop lying to yourself and don't try to lie to me. No, you don't. Because if you believe the same way, your tail would be in church, you would be faithful, you'd be giving, you'd be supporting missions, you'd be witnessing to people. You don't believe the same way. You backslid and just admit it, amen. But they say they don't. They haven't lost the uh, the battle of, of the belief that they probably hadn't. Where they lost the battle was that of thoughts. They still believe Jesus Christ is the Lord and Savior. They still believe in once saved, always saved. They still believe in the validity of, of the Word of God. But it's the battle of the thoughts. That'll get you, man. That'll get all of us. Most don't lose the battle of the biblical stance, guys. I mean, I've seen men go down the rabbit hole of Scripture and, and lose the battle and, and, or forsake a, uh, the, the preservation and purification of the Word of God and, and begin to go over here and act like a, a, a nut, and I get that. But guys, overwhelming majority of people, they don't forsake their biblical stance on the validity, the inerrancy of the Word of God. Where they forsake and where they lose the battle is right here in their thoughts. This has always been the battlefield. It always will be. Our mind is where victory has its place and where joy will reside. We must remember the seriousness of the fight. Because, guys, where your head goes, your body goes. That was an old ball statement. Where your head goes, your body goes. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. Keep your head up. Why? Because where your head goes, your body goes. That's our thoughts. Beloved, the key to joy is to understand that in Christ, we have a beachhead of victory, a defended position. That's the power that we have in Jesus Christ. And it's time for us to step up and to take responsibility, to partner with Jesus Christ with our future. 
our destiny, our, our victory, if you will, to ensure joy in our life. Can I say this to you guys, and we'll get onto that last point and be done? We need to stop living like a victim and take up the mantle of victor with joy at the forefront. That's how we need to live. We, we ought to pray and rebuke in Jesus' name because His name is power. We are to bind our thoughts in Jesus' name because His name is power. My friend, don't allow the enemy to take up residence in your mind. You're giving him squatting rights, rent-free occupation by the opening up the door to your thoughts, enabling him to take root in your mind. And the truth is, guys, you'll either bind the thoughts or eventually the thought will bind you. There is no other alternative. We've given him passageway to joy through standing fast in Christ Jesus. And then surrendering our thought life to our Lord. And lastly, if you really want to live victoriously in your life, after you have taken a stand and after you have surrendered your mind, we need to fill our heart and our mind with Scripture. You say, wait a second, preacher, I read every single day. That's fine, good. You should be reading every day. I write down every day. Hey, you should. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, Paul says do. It's one thing to see, it's one thing to hear, it's one thing to, but do them. He says, and the God of peace shall be with you. You may be, you may be sitting here this morning saying, I do all of these things, and, and I ask you this here now, do you have peace in your life? First Timothy, or 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Jesus, while it's on this earth, rebuked the devil by quoting Scripture. The pattern has been set. If you want to win that battle, you're going to have to, number one, stand fast. Number two, surrender to victory. But you're going to have to maintain that victory, my friend, by filling your heart and your mind with Scripture. Paul, in his letters, quoted the Old Testament 200, over 250 times. He said he failed not to preach the whole counsel of God. Where did he get the whole counsel of God? What, what scripture was Paul preaching from? He didn't have a New Testament. He didn't have, have any of the Gospels. He was preaching from the Old Testament where Jesus Christ is clearly and faithfully found. And he's given them the whole counsel of God. The battle of the mind will be won or lost, standing fast in Christ through, through surrendering to the Scriptures. So who do you allow to take up residence today? Who do you give free reign within the corridors of your thought life? They'll be defeated by filling your mind with the Word of God. Just a handful of Scriptures, guys, and we'll close. Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart, that I might not sin against thee. Joshua 1, verse 8, the, This book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Well, we like that, don't we? Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Let the word, of, the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing. Let me stop there. What did it say? The word of what? The word. Not the thoughts of him. Don't buy into these lot. Well, we got the thoughts of Christ. Well, let me give you this new version over here. The thoughts are there. Man, you don't know what the thoughts of Christ are. Amen. We've been given a word and promised that it's preserved and it's purified. Keep what we have. Amen. Best seller book in all times. 
Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Great example that the Lord gives us in Matthew 4. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Every word. And then one of my past, Pastor Ellis' favorite, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the divine and asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know what that word of God can do? It can separate your actions from your intentions. You thought to do a good thing? Oh, praise God, look at me. Oh, wait a second. But you wanted glory for it. That's what that word of God will do. And most people are afraid of it because of that. The list could go on and on. But let me encourage you this morning, guys, just in closing. Fill your mind with Scripture. Victory through surrendering today with joy as a product will occur by winning the battle of the mind. And therefore, guys, have a daily verse that you can think on every single day. Monday, Romans 8, 18, for I reckon that the sufferings of, of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Tuesday could be Deuteronomy chapter 31, 8, and the Lord, he, he is it that doeth good before thee. Uh, he will be with thee. He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. And on and on and on throughout the rest of the week. Every single day, have a verse. My verse today is Psalm 39, verse 7. And Lord, and now, Lord, what will I wait uh, for? My hope is in thee. That's my verse today. This is where our joy will come to the forefront. Standing fast in Christ Jesus, surrendering to the Lord, and soaking our mind with Scripture. So, beloved, it is high time for us to fight our battles, our daily battles, from a position of victory as opposed to fighting for victory. Here we are. Well, I've already won the war. Well, then fight the battle like you're a winner. Uh, we've already, we already got the Well, if you have got the victory and you truly believe that, start living like that and start fighting every single day, be it for your home, be it for your your Christian stance, your ministry, your life, whatever it is, fight the battle as if you've already won from a position of victory. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Jesus Christ is my Savior, my Lord, and my God. I have the victory. So I'm going to live as a victor, and joy shall be my banner. I'm asking you tonight, will you surrender to victory? Or this morning, will you surrender to victory so that joy will be in your life. Can you bow your heads with me? Father in heaven, we thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity and time to be together this morning. Do pray that you take your word right upon the table of our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would not soon forget this message. I ask you, Lord, to please move in a, in a wonderful way to where, Lord, we'd act like we would live like victors and quit living like, like we've lost moaning and groaning and complaining about what's going on in the world today and what's going on around us. My Lord, help us fight for our families, fight for our homes. Help us fight for our position of, of Christianity, our position of forgiveness. Help us fight for the faith that was given to the, the saints before us. But help us fight from a position of victory, from a beachhead, 
a place, dear God, that you have solidified and fortified through and by thy word. And let us too have the joy, the peace that passeth all understanding that Paul had in the midst of prison, in the midst of turmoils, in the midst of darkness, and yes, in the midst of happiness. In Jesus Christ's name we ask these things. Amen and amen.